We're going to talk about a couple of paragraphs again from uh, the Encyclopedia. To begin with, paragraph 497, then 498, 499, and maybe a little bit about paragraph 500. So we're still in the section called Das Recht gegen das Unrecht, justice versus injustice or right versus wrong. Um, we discussed the transition between section B, which is about the contracts, and now section C. Um, in an earlier video, when we talked about 495 and 496. So now we'll continue our discussion. I want you to take before you your translation of um, paragraph 497 and pause the video and just try and read this paragraph 497. And after you have read it, um, I will go back to the German and the English, uh, go through the text and try to explain it as best as I can. So please pause the video and read for yourself paragraph 497. Okay, welcome back. This is paragraph 497 and it's about the appearance of justice, the naive um, injustice we might call it or the semblance of justice. Um, first, let's go to the German. In dem gegen diesen Schein das eine Recht an sich, noch in unmittelbarer Einheit mit den verschiedenen Rechtgründen, als affirmativ, gesetzt, gewollt und anerkannt wird, liegt die Verschiedenheit nur darin, dass diese Sache durch den besonderen Willen dieser Personen unter das Recht subsumiert wird. Das unbefangene Unrecht. That's the first complete sentence of paragraph 497. So, now, so long as um, compared against this show, gegen diesen Schein, the one intrinsically, intrinsically right, das eine Recht an sich, yeah, so the one right in itself, still presumed identical with the several titles um, as affirmative gesetzt or noch in unmittelbare einheit that's what it translates uh, presumed identical with the several titles that is the immediate unity with the different titles or claims is affirmed, willed and recognized the only diversity lies in this so the only difference between the right in itself and um, the whole of this series of titles, these claims, that the special thing is subsumed under the one law or right by the particular will of these several persons. Now, that is quite a difficult uh, sentence. The special thing, that, that's diese Sache, this thing that is the uh, object of a contract is subsumed under the one law um, unter das Recht subsumiert wird um, by the particular will of these several persons. So we have several persons claiming, let's say, to own a particular thing. 
So every one of them uh, claims that it is rightful for them to own it and use it. Um, one of them is right. Only one of these several persons is right and is uh, entitled, truly entitled to that particular property. Um, but all of them um, have this in common, that they uh, want to own this thing rightfully, so they claim that they have the right. So suddenly there appears um, a series, a whole series of uh, titles under the law. So the diversity is that one thing is truly um, rightfully uh, the, the property of someone and the only way that that is shown is by having a title to that property just as all these other persons have that are not really entitled to that property. This is naive, non-malicious wrong. So this is unbefangenes unrecht. Uh, it's injustice because um, the many claims to this property um, make it very difficult to decide what is the rightful ownership, what is the correct ownership. And if you claim to own something that you in fact do not own, um, that is a wrong. But such wrong, he says, such wrong in the several claimants is a simple negative judgment. So you say uh, you are not in fact the owner and you are not in fact the owner, but he is in fact the owner. Expressing what he calls the civil suit, Rechtsstreit, bürgerliche Rechtsstreit. That's a simple negative judgment. You claim to own this and I claim to own this and my claim excludes you and etc. Um, now, to settle it, there is required a third judgment. So we have A claiming to be the owner, B claiming to be the owner, A claiming that B is not the owner, B claiming that A is not the owner, so we need a third judgment, which as the judgment of the intrinsically right is disinterested and the power of giving the one right existence as against that semblance of right. So the third judgment decides um, which of the two claimants is correct. So there is a third judgment that says B is wrong, A is right, A is the rightful owner. And it has to be disinterested because uh, it, to the degree that it is not, that it has an interest in the thing, um, it's not right. It's simply a third claim. And a power of giving the one right existence as against that semblance means that you have to have the power to enforce it, to enforce that third judgment. So not only um, I have to make a judgment on the basis of right and, and correct procedure, uh, who is the rightful owner, but then I need to be able to enforce that judgment by um, perhaps taking away the object from claimant A and giving it into the possession uh, of claimant B. Um, that is the gist of paragraph 497, this naive injust injustice. 
So the difference between right and wrong, the difference between justice and injustice, appears here as a conflict between competing claims to a property. And that is what we call naive injustice, a singular negative judgment. A is not yours, it's mine. And that is the basis of a civil suit. Two negative judgments there are. A says it's mine, not B's. B says it's mine, not A's. There is no resolution possible within the contract. The two claims have equal validity, even though one of them is rightful, is justice, and the other one is not, even though we know that only one can be right. That civil case must be adjudicated by a third judgment, and that is the judgment, necessarily, of right in itself. And it requires to be without any interest in the object, and secondly, to have the power to resist and to enforce its judgment over against the appearance of right. That is very important. Now, later on, I will try to explain why it's so important that Hegel talks about justice and injustice. But let's now move on to paragraph 498 to consider a second degree of this injustice, which is fraud and deceit. Um, just to first have a full view of what Hegel calls um, uh, injustice, this is the, um, in paragraph 497, the naive injustice, and now we'll go to the fraudulous injustice. So again, take a little time to read for yourself paragraph 498, and then come back to the audio and... Um, then again we'll start with the German text. Okay, thank you for coming back. Paragraph 498 in German goes like this. Wird aber der Schein des Rechts als solcher gegen das Recht an sich von dem besonderen Willen gewollt, so if the semblance of right is something that is uh, willed by a particular person, der hiemit böse wird, uh, this particular will then becomes evil, so wird die äußerliche Anerkennung des Rechts von dessen Werte getrennt und nur jene respektiert, in dem dieses verletzt wird. Again, this first sentence of the paragraph is quite difficult to understand. Um, let's continue first with the German text and then we'll analyze the English translation. Dies gibt das Unrecht des Betrugs. Um, and he uses the word betrug, fraud, uh, deceit, um, because here we have someone who claims that something is rightful but who knows that it is not. That's the difference with the naive injustice, here is someone who knows that he is wrong and still pretends to be right. Das unendliche Urteil als identisches, that's the infinite judgment, as an identical judgment, this is mine, knowing that it's not. Die beibehaltene formelle Beziehung mit Weglassung des Gehaltes, so we simply have the formal relationship to a thing, the claim uh, of um, uh, ownership, but the uh, the real substance of it uh, has been uh, 
left behind. So we are simply claiming it, and that claiming is purely formal, um, and there is no content to my claim as such. It's simply the um, the expression of uh, uh, being the owner. Now, let's take a look at the English translation, 498. But if the semblance of right as such is willed against the right intrinsically by the particular will, so um, we want it just to appear as right, and it's not something that happens because there are several claims and only one can be right. If the semblance of right as such is willed against the right, so we we know we're not the owner, we know we're not the owner, um, but we act as if we are the owner, um, and um, thereby trying to destroy someone else's rights, which does become wicked, becomes wicked, I said evil, but wicked is also very good, then the external recognition of right is separated from the right's true value. So this recognition of right has no meaning whatsoever with regard to the substance of that right. And while the former only is respected, that is the external recognition of right is respected, the latter is violated, that is the true value of the right is violated. That is one way um, of uh, putting it, and it all depends on the word dessen. Um, so wird die äußerliche Anerkennung, so the external recognition of right, um, von dessen Werte getrennt, von dessen, from its own value, it becomes uh, separated. Um, at first, I misread, I think, the text um, by thinking that uh, Hegel meant that in the case of um, the punishment of uh, deceit, uh, uh, so let's say the legal status of deceit, we have to make a difference between the thing and its um, value. But uh, I don't think that is the case here. It's the right's true value, so the substance of the right. The external recognition is something that is gained by this, uh, the formality of the claim, and the true value is the right in itself. The former is respected, the external recognition is respected, the claim is accepted. However, the right itself is violated. There can be this difference between the substance of right and the semblance of right, and that is quite necessary, as I will try to explain later on. This gives the wrong of fraud, the infinite judgment as identical. Now, in order to understand why he talks about the infinite judgment, we can go to paragraph 173 in the encyclopedia. Um, when subject and predicate in a judgment are totally um, incommensurate, when they're totally different, uh, then we talk about uh, an infinite judgment. Uh, let's say, when we argue, the spirit is not an elephant, which is quite a truism. The spirit is not an elephant. But it also has nothing to say about it. There's nothing in it, there's no substance to it. It's true, but it's meaningless. 
Uh, a lion is not a table. They are true, but they are meaningless. Um, just like the identical sentences, a lion is a lion and the spirit is a spirit. Now, in the first case, when we had the naive injustice, we had the um, uh, judgment of uh, negativity. So it's simply um, the denial of something. A is claimed and we argue not A. Um, in this case, we have the infinite judgment, so we have a, a totally loose uh, idea. Um, I own this property, is, um, uh, or uh, this property is not, is not his, um, has the form of this infinite judgment. Um, that is very important to, uh, yeah, to understand. It's infinite because it's... Um, its application uh, has no border, has no limit. Um, the predicate does not express something that is within uh, the subject. So when I say I own this property, knowing that is not the case, um, my predicate and the subject of that uh, judgment simply do not have any relationship whatsoever. So in that sense, it's an infinite uh, judgment. There is no real relationship between subject and predicate um, apart from this, just the formality of the, the external form of it. Okay, um, fraud. The particular will is now no longer naive. It's a deliberate injustice. It's wicked or evil. And it has consequences. First of all, um, the external recognition of right to a property is now separate from the substance of it. Um, this recognition becomes purely a semblance. Um, now, uh, uh, A knows it to be B, claims it anyway. That is uh, what is happening in reality in this sphere. And that's the second one. Now we have to find the third the third stage or third level of injustice, and we find that in paragraph 499. And again, I invite you to read that paragraph for yourself, and I'll begin again with the German, and then we move on to the English version. Okay, welcome back. Paragraph 499 reads in German. Insofern endlich der besondere Wille sich dem Recht an sich in der Negation, sowohl dessen Selbst als dessen Anerkennung oder Scheins entgegenstellt, das heißt negativ unendliches Urteil, in welchem sowohl die Gattung als die besondere Bestimmtheit hier die erscheinende Anerkennung negiert wird, ist er gewalttätig böser Wille, der ein Verbrechen begeht. So, um, uh, what do we have here? The particular will, finally, the particular will sets itself in opposition to the intrinsic right by negating that right itself as well as its recognition or semblance. So here we have an act in which the arbitrary will acts completely in opposition and in contradiction to both the right and the semblance of right and the recognition of that right. And that is what he 
calls on the basis again of paragraph 173 of the logic a negative infinite judgment. Uh, this is not yours. And that is expressed also by an action. Um, a negative infinite judgment in which there is denied the class as a whole. There is no such thing, at least in this action of appropriating something that is not mine, there is no such thing as property. That is what that action really says. There is no such thing as rightful uh, property. Um, and not merely the particular mode, in this case the apparent recognition. Uh, so in the former cases uh, of fraud and uh, naive um, injustice, there is at least a recognition uh, of right as such, because in the naive uh, injustice a person simply believes that he is the rightful owner, and in fraud uh, he has to pretend that he is the rightful owner, so he is aware of the fact that there is such a thing as a rightful owner. But here he also um, destroys the apparent recognition, so he simply doesn't bother with uh, rights as such. Thus the will is violently, violently wicked and commits a crime. Verbrechen. Uh, um, so here someone really steals something from another. Um, now, we will see in paragraph 500 that that also contains um, a contradiction within itself, but at the stage that we are here now, we have found these three levels of injustice, the naive injustice, uh, the fraudulous injustice, and the wicked or, and violent injustice, and that is how, in these three stages, the particular will, the particular liberty of a person, uh, comes into contradiction both to the right in itself and to the appearance of right. Right as such is contradicted, because even the appearing recognition is negated. Violent evil will. So, let's consider stealing. Um, so, that's the three uh, things. The naive um, uh, injustice leads to a civil case, a civil dispute. The fraudulous injustice leads to a third judgment also, but that is a legal judgment, that is a judge deciding who is the owner. The criminal form of injustice, however, uh, belongs to criminal law and has to lead to something else, um, and that is punishment, and that is the topic of paragraph 500. I will try to deal with paragraph 500 later on today in this video, or maybe even tomorrow. Let's take a step back and try to consider the whole of the development so far. Now, as I said before, injustice makes explicit what remains implicit in the contract. Injustice makes explicit what remains implicit in the, in the contract. What was that? Well, in a contract there is no real reconciliation between universality and particularity. That is to say, the universality of the contract doesn't resolve that contradiction between it and my particular will. 
of course I want to have this agreement I want to let's say exchange properties or pay for something um, that is on the basis of my particular will so the agreement uh, occurs there is universality in that because it transcends uh, both particular wills that are involved the particular wills of the parties involved but that we must call the commonality of the agreement it's simply the connection the immediate connection between two particular wills but it's not a true universal it remains based upon the arbitrary will now that is a very um, difficult and a tense situation because I constantly need to affirm the contract with my arbitrary will but my arbitrary will is precisely that because I'm able to change my mind as soon as one of the parties in the contract so decides he or she can withdraw from the agreement because the ability to change your mind that is to put your will into something else is essential to the particular arbitrary will so the possibility of withdrawing from the agreement is a let's say an essential property an essential characteristic of the arbitrary will involved uh, I put my will into something an agreement um, is realized because someone else also agrees with me uses his arbitrary will to come into an agreement with me and then I change my mind well there's nothing wrong with that because that is what arbitrary wills do however it is also a breaking of an agreement now you might argue that I use my arbitrary will wrongfully that's certainly true you can also argue that the agreement therefore wasn't able to completely bind my will completely express objectively my will because I'm able to break it the commonality of wills is not a true universal because it's let's say coincidental or accidental it's uh, something that happened it has no necessity secondly it's not determined my arbitrary will is not determined internally by the contract I can withdraw from it just as easily as I can enter into it. Therefore, it's not a true universal because there is no necessity to the contract. Even after I have realized my freedom by forming uh, an agreement and entering into a contract, uh, there's no necessity to keep that contract. There's no force nor no power within the contract itself that demands or forces me to uphold it third there are no guarantees for upholding the contract on either side I cannot can never be sure that my um, that my partner in the agreement will um, do um, as we have agreed upon now right in general so also the concept of a contract as such is not concerned with the particular when I enter into an agreement the only thing that is of concern are the stipulations of that contract let's say the real determinations of actions and objects that that agreement is all about it abstracts from my particulars and of course my arbitrary will 
is concerned with my particulars. My arbitrary will is part of a specific and concrete life with specific specific needs and interests. And I'm um, uh, asked to abstract from that within the agreement. Now, that is quite interesting. Let's say that we have a contract to exchange properties and at a given moment my judgment is that these two properties uh, property B that I'm acquiring and property A that I'm giving up that they have the the same value it can be the monetary value or the value uh, it has um, for my life or whatever but I, I think it's a fair exchange because these objects are the same. Um, now I open my drawer and I find out I already own ten of these things and I had completely forgotten it. Now I can only use one, so I have nine surplus objects. So that uh, object number eleven that I'm trying to acquire by this exchange has no value for me whatsoever. In my particular circumstance, in the particular situation that I'm in, um, there is no interest whatsoever in making that exchange. Uh, I'm acquiring something that has no value anymore for me, and I'm giving up something that still has a lot of value that I might be able to exchange for something that I do need. Now, obviously, from the standpoint of my particular will, it would be very wise to break the agreement. Because the result of keeping the agreement would be that I lose something that is valuable to me. Um, And I can do so because there's nothing in... I have to do so because there's nothing in the contract that says that when I find out that there is no longer any equality between the properties that are exchanged, that I have the right to withdraw because the contract abstracts from my particular situation. It doesn't take account of uh, that sort of circumstance. Therefore, um, the particular is outside of the agreement, is left to the accidental and arbitrary, and that means that injustice is inevitable because, of course, I will refuse to keep an agreement that is detrimental to myself. Um, It would be... Um, an attack upon my own liberty to give up something that um, uh, diminishes my liberty just in order to keep the agreement. The abstracted, arbitrary and individual will is realized in the contract in such a way that the concept of contract, um, this commonality of the will, remains separate from its existence. So the idea is great, There is this commonality of will, but the existence, the reality of it, is totally different. And just to remind you that when concept and existence are not identical, we have a form of immediacy and self-contradiction. Now, there is a positive side to this injustice. It's not just the loss of the universal, because it never was universal. This was merely a commonality of liberties. Now, injustice is the way in which the arbitrary will claims its right over against the right that abstracts from it. I claim my right to act in my own interest 
over against the objectified right that lies within the contract, that does not take my particular situation into account. When I find out that my contract actually damages my interest, while, uh, of course, I entered into the contract in order to further my interest, I may choose very well to act according to the contract, against my change will, or I may choose not to accept the consequences and break the contract in defense of my interest. And again, that is a freedom of choice that I have. Um, for instance, when I find that change, change circumstances have led to a situation that if I had known, if I had examined that drawer in which I already had 10 of these objects, I would never have entered into this contract in the first place. Now, the particular is a necessary moment of the contract. It's the uh, basis of it, the condition of it. Without the particular arbitrary will, there would be no agreement. So it belongs essentially to my free will. Therefore, in the injustice, something manifests itself that is essential to right. Uh, it's, let's say the right is based upon the arbitrary will, but doesn't fully lift it up to the level of universality. It doesn't resolve this contradiction between the universal and the particular. And that is why now it's necessary, instead of, um, let's say, just staying in the abstract universal of contract and the, formal, the formality of right, it's important to notice that... Um, there is still something as a, a, the right of um, my liberty, the right of my particular freedom to um, stand against, stand against um, the right, even in the form of injustice. The opposition to the contract in the injustice is, of course, a single negation. It's a withdrawal from the agreement. So um, uh, the contract is not a universal, but the opportunity and the ability to withdraw from a contract isn't either. Um, just as right, abstract right, abstracts from the particular, so my particular existence is not taken into account, uh, in the same manner, the denial of the contract, the denial of um, the commonality of will, um, is also abstract. It's an abstract negative judgment. Um, we have a contract. Well, no, we don't. Um, I'm breaking it. So only in this direct opposition and contradiction to the universal can injustice manifest the particularity of the free will that was denied in the contract. So the contract denies the individual free will, and the response of the individual free will is an abstract denial of the contract. And that... Uh, circus uh, of denials over uh, of the one against the other um, uh, will lead to uh, chaotic, a completely chaotic society. Now we have to remind ourselves again, the free arbitrary will is both the condition of the contract because an agreement is an agreement between two arbitrary individual wills um, and 
because the free arbitrary will is at the same time the contradiction of the universality or commonality of the contract uh, and the act of withdrawal, injustice can be called tragic because in withdrawing from the contract, the free will actually contradicts also itself. It posits itself in the withdrawal. It posits itself as the negation of the contract. But at the same time, within the contract, there is this objective uh, shape of my personal free and arbitrary will. So what I'm actually negating, that is myself. I am at um, uh, point in time B contradicting by withdrawing from the agreement what I freely decided at point A. Now, that of course in itself is a tragic um, idea and nevertheless this, opportun this uh, uh, option of contradicting myself and moving on to something else is normal when there is only one free will uh, involved. My arbitrary will can um, want A and then turn to B without any consequence, but not the case if my will for A uh, and for B uh, can come into contradiction. Let me put it like this, <clears throat> again in this bit immediate uh, form of an example. Um, we talked about the arbitrary will in, in uh, this form. Um, let's say at this moment I would like a cup of coffee. So I get up and make myself a cup of coffee and then as soon as I see the coffee I realize that I have no taste for coffee at all at this moment so I decide to go for a cup of tea instead. So I change my mind. No problem, right? But take this. I'm in a shop and I'm buying a cup of coffee. Now we have a contract. We have an agreement of the will. There is a free uh, exercise on both sides. Um, I'm giving up money and whoever serves me is uh, presenting me with um, uh, uh, a cup of coffee. There is an exchange, money for coffee. Now, I accept the coffee and I've already paid and now I ask my money back because I decide to want a cup of tea. Will I get my money back? Of course not. I paid for it. I got a cup of coffee. My change of mind now has consequences because by um, accepting uh, not the coffee but taking the tea, I come into opposition to a former moment in which I asked for and got a cup of coffee. Now, let's look at the three levels of injustice. Let's say I wanted the cup of tea, but inadvertently I said coffee. Um, I could claim that I wanted the cup of tea and I'm not going to pay for the coffee that I got, etc. That is naive injustice. Secondly, I could ask for a cup of coffee and then argue that the coffee is cold or it's undrinkable and ask for my money back uh, while in fact I have drunk my coffee. That's fraud. And thirdly, I could take the cup of coffee and run away with it and decline to pay for it. That would be a crime, or at least a transgression. So, those are the three levels that I have um, 
for uh, in uh, in uh, exercising injustice and in exercising my particular will over against the commonality of wills that was present in the agreement. Now the particular will has no real existence because it's separated from the universal. My free my um, uh, particular free will doesn't have an objectivity. It's merely the negation of an agreement, uh, naively or fraudulously, or it is by violence um, negating the outcome of the agreement, uh, uh, exercising violence against the reality of the agreement. Now, that tragic self-contradiction, the particular will actually denying itself, uh, is restored only through punishment, and that is the topic that we'll discuss next time. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you're doing well in your studies, and um, i see you next time.